Hi and hello, Watchmans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuts, and my co-host, calling in all the way from Amsterdam, Alon Ben-Joseph. Today is another Q&A session during which we will answer our listeners' questions. And we've got some good ones today, some really fun ones. So I feel like our listeners are finally attuning their questions to the desires of watch journalists all over the world and making it kind of easy for us. How about, Alon, you go ahead and pick a lovely question for us to start with and we can get the ball rolling. A good idea. And I'm really excited to do the show today, as always. And the feedback is becoming more and more. So a question I, I liked very much was actually Carter, who used the contact form. And he responded to our episode a few weeks ago or more than a month ago, which you very wisely titled, What is Great 23 Titanium? And, and, and the cool thing is it sparked actually quite some comments and feedback. And the cool thing is one of my acquaintances. So the interesting thing is he wrote to me specifically and then I knew he was serious. Um, I have a round bar for you, grade 23 titanium, if you want. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, I'm listening to your podcast. I have T-I-G-R dot 23 for you. I said, GR 23? I only know two or five. He's like, yeah, it's the medical grade of titanium grade five. Also nicknamed T-I-G-R dot five and then E-L-I, so in capitals. So he says it's usually used for implants. So mostly dentists use that. Ah. Yeah, so for our dentists that uh, are listening, you guys know what we're talking about. I have a buddy in Austria. He's uh, a professor, a, a dental professor, and he gives lectures all around the world. He only wears titanium watches. And I asked him, where does your fetish for titanium come from? Because I love it because of my dad, which you have heard on the show. But he showed me his presentation while he was in Amsterdam. And I am uh, not scared of blood. I have a lot of respect for surgeons and doctors and people working with blood. It's not my cup of tea. But it's amazing. He showed me literally pictures from operations where he 100% reconstructs half of the jaw and uh, the bits where your teeth go in from titanium. Good grief. Yeah. It's not just the implants. He literally creates your whole upper and bottom parts of your skull, let's say, in your mouth, and then he puts in full teeth. So, And that's apparently done from this grade 23. So going back to where this question comes from, Blancpain launched a 50, 50 fathoms. I see I made a mistake. It's not 50, uh, and, and, and it's not phantoms. And they made it in grade 23. They didn't really focus on why, what, and Rob and I noticed that in the press release. And then we were very honest to admit that both of us didn't know what that was. And I've never heard of a watch ever being made in grade 23. So now we know. And the reason is it's uh, even more resistant to corrosion. Titanium is very corrosion resistant, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the 23 is an even higher grade and they called it the tech version of the watch. So they pushed the envelope. Kudos to you, Blancpain. We learned something new. Yeah, so I think like at the end of that very interesting explanation about what titanium grade 23 is often used for, you hit upon the most relevant fact for why it should be used in watchmaking. And that is that 
okay, I, I did some research. I got some notes, not, nothing too complex. You can find this out by, you know, Googling. EOS Titanium Grade 23 is a TI-6 AL4V alloy with a lower amount of oxygen and iron compared to the standard TI-64 alloy. So it's well known for having excellent mechanical properties, low density and high strength as usual, and superior corrosion resistance to the regular grades. So my question has always been about these exceptional materials, and we could pull in Rolex's Oyster Steel or 904L steel in here in comparison to 316L hypoallergenic medical grade steel that is commonly used by watchmakers in the industry, and say, does it really matter? Now, technically, on paper, Yes, this material might be better than that material in certain extreme environments for exceptionally long periods of time. But in reality, is it going to have any effect on the way that you wear the watch and how long the watch will be able to survive in general life? And the answer is almost always no, not at all. The difference between these, if anything, is probably mostly aesthetic. The difference between different titaniums is incredibly small. The difference between titanium and steel, of course, is massive when it comes to wearability because titanium is more inert as a material, which means it doesn't heat up or cool down as quickly as steel. It's the opposite of what people often think because when you touch titanium, it's often warm to the touch and steel, if it's been off the wrist, is cold to the touch. And people assume that the reason for that is that the titanium adapts to your body heat quicker. It's actually the other way around. It's that steel doesn't cool down to the point where it feels cold for an incredible amount of time, whereas steel will just flip up and down straight away, which is why, like, if you're in an industry like, I don't know, say, firefighting, a titanium watch is going to be better than a steel watch. A steel watch is going to, like, get really, really hot, really, really fast when it's exposed to a warm or, you know, ambient temperatures around it that are anything that's out of the ordinary, whereas a titanium watch will survive that longer, which always makes me wonder, why didn't Rolex make the scientist's watch, as in the Milgauss, out of titanium. Why didn't they do that, Alon? Good question. So they actually launched the first titanium watch, right? This year. Uh, or was it the end of 22? I'm, I'm a bit confused. But anyways, they launched their first ever titanium watch, if I'm not mistaken, a commercial watch, a watch that they actually sell, not a prototype. And it's their own alloy. Um, I need to do research about that. It's uh, more size of a wall clock than a Risha, but okay. The problem with titanium is it's very difficult to work with. That's true. That's true. That's true. To pro yeah. So to process titanium, it it is dangerous in the sense that it becomes hot quickly and it can literally go on fire. It can lit up, and that's the reason why often, not always, watch brands that make watches both steel and titanium, the same model, the titanium piece is more expensive. It's not so much because the material, the alloy, is more expensive. It's the milling the cost of tooling and the danger of it literally lighting up that makes it expensive. Rolex obviously is the most industrialized luxury watchmaker ever. Not only in Switzerland, but ever. And, and we said this on air many times, they're all about evolution or revolution. They use literally the term ceteris paribus, which is used in economics. In Latin means when everything stays the same. So you change one little thing and try not to touch the rest to prevent Pareto effect, the butterfly effect. Meaning you don't want to turn too many knobs at once, change one little thing, see what it does and improve step by step, baby steps. 
So I think that's why they never did it. And they obviously used Tudor the last decade as their sandbox, their playing ground, their testing ground, their lab. There, they went full-blown titanium, obviously with the Pelagos. So I guess they ramped up their learning curve there. I'm quite sure, and I haven't seen this with my own eyes, so little disclaimer here, this is my personal opinion, that they're not produced in-house, these titanium cases, straps for Tudor. If Rolex does it in-house, I don't know. We need to do our research. So I hope that answers your question, Rob. Back to you. So I got two things to say to that. The first one is, the first one pertains to Blancpain. And you mentioned that you think this might be one of the first grade 23 watches you've ever seen. It's certainly one of the first I've ever seen. But Blancpain has got previous when it comes to using this material. And I know that they've done it in at least two pieces. They did it in a 36 millimeter air command. Can't remember if they did it in the full-sized air command but they also used it in at least one bathyscaphe model so it's not the first time they've rolled it out but it also that speaks to exactly what you're saying about the investment that one needs to make to actually be able to machine this stuff because once you've got the tooling once you've got the expertise once you're able to do that in-house or with a direct partner then of course you could just do it all the time and in watchmaking these little tiny separations these degrees of difference, they make all the difference when it comes to getting a sale or not getting a sale or having something for a journalist to write about and not having something for a journalist to write about. So although we look at it, we say, okay, materially grade 23, yeah, okay, it's better in theory. It's a much more suitable material for this application, but how much does it affect you practically in real life? Basically nada, but you are going to hear about it because it's going to be talked about because it's news. And that's something that I think all watch lovers should be aware of, and they probably are on some level at least, but when a brand does something that seems, shall we say, overkill or for the sake of it, the exact sake of it is to get coverage, is to make news. Now, my philosophy in watchmaking is if you want to be talked about, you've got to be the news. You can't chase the news. You've got to be out there ahead of it doing something that makes everybody speak about you so that you can't be ignored. And although this is a pretty easy to ignore or dismiss development, it is different and difference counts. That's what separates the mundane from the magnificent, as I said on a recent video for a brand I know, very Hollywood. Second thing, who the hell is your mate that's got a bunch of titanium kicking around? Because titanium is more expensive than steel right now and hard to get one's hands on. And I need some for a project. Who is he? Can I have some? I will hook you up. Cheers. I need a titanium dealer. Wow. Always needed one of them. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's rattle on to the next question. That, um, that admission of ignorance on our part turned out to be a pretty good idea because I learned quite a lot from diving into that. And thanks, Carter, for following up on it. That's really appreciated. And thank you for listening. All right. Next question. Oh, you'll love this one. This is from Sean Morris. He's a watchmaker at Roger Smith, member of the Real Time Network, one of our most ardent followers and a great chap. And he says... Do you feel that there is enough transparency when it comes to high-end watches as it is currently? Big question. Take it away. The executive summary, two-letter word, no. There is not enough transparency. That is one of the reasons that I am uh, proud to be one of the co-founders of watchbase.com. That's uh, a database of watches with the sole aim, or actually majority aim, of creating as much transparency as possible about watches, watch brands, watchmaking, 
And the unique feature there we started over seven, eight years ago is that it's a double database. It's a database of watches and watch calibers, and you can cross-reference, meaning you could look at a watch, click on the caliber, we'll tell you what the base caliber is, if it's their own or not, is it really manufactured or not, and are they pulling our leg, the watch brands? And you can also reverse engineer, meaning you can start from a base caliber, see what other calibers are, click on top or rebrand it to their own brand, and then see all the watches using that caliber. So that's our passion project. It's, it's, it's a hobby. Um, the front end is simply open and free to the public. That's a gift to the watch collecting community. Um, that's one example. And for me to answer a strict and hardcore simple no is I think that a lot of brands are still not transparent enough. They're not transparent about um, what they do in-house, who does what, they often use and misuse the term manufacturer, in my humble opinion. Although there is no hardcore, strict um, legal definition of manufacturer in Switzerland or any watchmaking country, but I use the soft, unwritten description if you design your own caliber and make at least about, on average, 80, 90% of the spare parts in-house and assemble it, you are kind of eligible to use that term, in my humble this is a very subjective definition, yeah? Why? Why not 100 or 99 or 98? Because there are only a few companies that can actually make the hairspring, for example. And Rob, probably blindly in his sleep, can rattle out a table of brands that can. Um, and that's why it's usually not 100. Rob, did you want to jump in or should I keep going? I'll jump in just for the sake of it, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it's not normally 100% for the reasons that you mentioned. Hairsprings and jewels as well are the other thing that brands rarely make themselves, even if they are verifiable manufacturers. And one other thing that brands sometimes outsource, even if they manufacture everything else in their calibers, is oddly enough the screws. And that's not because they couldn't make a screw, but because of the cost effectiveness of making a great many screws. And I think most people would agree the lack of impact a screw has on their purchasing decision. Although it isn't totally uninteresting, of course. We have some great screw manufacturers. If you remember, there was a wonderful article written by Ariel Adams of a blog to watch a few years back on Lang & Hainer, a brand in my hometown of Dresden that now is under different management, but back then was still run by Marco Lang. And he, well, I tell you what, he spent a lot of time making screws. I think it took them over a an hour or a couple of hours to make each screw. And um, yeah, in in mass-produced watch manufacturers, obviously that's never going to fly. But you say that there's no like legal basis of what manufacturer is and isn't. I mean, there are guidelines defining what is and what isn't Swiss-made, for example, right? Swiss-made, yes. So I would take the Swiss-made guidelines and apply that to whether or not something is manufacturer as well. You know, whether or not a brand makes X percentage of those components in-house. That's the definition I would use. And I would apply that to the factories in the country based on their country's definition of what something has to be to be made in that country. So it's different in Germany and Switzerland, of course. And it's I think it's even different in Glasgow. Now, Nomos has been pushing for the last few years to implement a very high bar for Glasgow origin watches. And I think they're having some legal success with it. I think so too, but 
Um, I find it dangerous to link it up to the Swiss made definition because I think that's a load of bull crap because originally it was only 50% of the components need to be produced in Switzerland and it has to be assembled in Switzerland. That was basically the summary of the requirements. They, under a lot of lobbying and pressure, have jacked that up to only 60%, which I find odd and weird. That it's not a string and 100% and 99, I get it. But why not 80? Why not 85? Um, and it's very dangerous to, to play with the integrity of a quality hallmark. And it, I guess, discounts these players like Breitling, Mosel and C, and et cetera, et cetera, that literally are 100% Swiss made and always have been, always is a dangerous term because Breitling goes back to 1884. But I find that dangerous. So, and Rob, maybe we should watch out, you and I, that we don't go too philosophical on this episode. So let's go back to the original question. So transparent enough was not on the term manufacturer. I don't think they're transparent enough who produces what. I don't think they're transparent enough on sustainability. I don't think they're transparent enough who actually designs the watches. The, the ultimate example is Gerald Genta. Gerald Genta in the 60s, 70s designed a lot of stuff for a lot of big brands. It only came out way later. Some brands today say who designs. Some don't, some lie, some don't say, some keep it in the middle. So in that context, I want to give kudos to Max Busser and friends, MBNF. From day one, the F in the name was the most important part. He says, it's not about me. It's a group effort. And he highlights everyone, even the person that makes the watch straps. Uh, that's usually dismissed, although I find watch straps very important. Um, and there is a lot of progression on sustainability, but there's a lot of greenwashing going on. But okay, I guess that's a topic for a future episode. Rob, what do you think? What would you answer that question? Yeah, I think I'd go exactly in line with you and say, no, there's not enough transparency, but I also am wary of there being a push for too much transparency. There is a little bit of magic, shall I say, that exists in watchmaking that I think should be allowed to remain for more than one reason. It's not just because I like to be wired and I like to be mesmerized and I don't need to see every little thing along the production process or know every little figure. But part of my concern is that when you do reveal the cost, the raw cost of each component that goes into assembling a watch, it it will amount to a total that is way, 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 way below the retail price. And it discounts a lot of the creative efforts and energies go into the design and the marketing and distribution of a watch, which are much harder to quantify in terms of value. So we can say how much each screw costs. We can say how much each jewel or base plate or each plating process costs, but we can't put as easy a number, certainly not as tangible a number on the genius of uh, Gerald Genta, for example. How many hours did it take Genta to design the Patek Philippe Nautilus. Well, if you believe the stories, he, he bashed out some of his most classic designs on a napkin over dinner or overnight after a brief phone call. But that's not to say that that design is worth uh, 25 minutes of Gerald Genta's time and his, his hourly rate may have been, I don't know, 200 euros, 500 euros, 1,000 euros in those days. So it's not worth 200 euros. It's worth his entire life, his entire experience, even his childhood before he started training. You can't put a value on that kind of experience and genius and, and what those eyes have seen and how those eyes and 
the brain behind them are able to convert it into a design that resonates down the ages. So you see people on forums, and I believe that is a correct plural these days rather than for, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, please. But you see people talking about this stuff and they say, oh my God, this watch that retails for 1500 euros only actually costs 300 euros to make in raw costs. That's that's ridiculous. Well, is it ridiculous? If that brand has a retailer, then you can instantly chop the price in half for the retailer's amount that they've got to take to keep the lights on, to keep the staff well fed, you know, to, to actually make money to grow their business. Okay, so now like the watch costs 300 euros to make and it's being sold for 750 into a retailer maybe, minus VAT. And then you say, okay, well, 450 euros, that's a decent profit. You know, it's about 25% of that watch's retail value. That's That's good, isn't it? So, well, what about the development costs? What about those designers? What about that genius? What about the billboard by the airport that let you know that brand exists? What about the traveling salesman that lives out of a suitcase five weeks at a time on the road, sacrificing his friends and his family and like seeing his relatives, his young relatives grow up, you know, so he can communicate these brands' messages to people who can communicate them to you? What about that? Where's the value in that? And when you start thinking about that kind of thing, you start to realize why more and more brands in this day and age are going B to C because it enables them to cut out so many expenses, but it also enables them to make their retail prices closer to the production cost, which makes their products seem better value. So there are mechanisms in place now that didn't exist 10 or 20 years ago when it comes to growing a brand, and namely the internet is one of them, and you can also sell over the internet. So we're seeing the landscape shift. We're also seeing so many more opinions about that landscape being shared. And we need to take the feedback seriously. There does need to be more transparency, perhaps in terms of origins of materials and their ethical palatability, you know, stuff like ethical golds, lab-grown diamonds. This is the advent of these newer technologies, which perhaps is more relevant now than ever before. We need to be more conscious of brands greenwashing, and we should probably try and, you know, discourage them from that and make active positive change for the good of humanity as well. And we can certainly ask for more, but I don't think we should ask for everything because to properly dissect all of the information that a brand could lay bare before you takes an enormous amount of experience and knowledge and discussion that I think, given the absence of that in the general populace, could result in an enormous explosion of ill feeling towards the watch industry. And that's something I don't think it deserves. Yeah, okay, there's always going to be watches that have an enormous amount of air in the price. The further up you go in the food chain, the less and less related to the material costs and the intellectual costs of developing that watch and its retail price will be. There will be at some point a luxury tax and an enormous luxury tax. And that can be pretty abhorrent and pretty disgusting to people that collect watches in a different strata, but that's okay because there are customers for things like that. And while we should maybe discourage that mindset, we should at least respect it in the meantime, while it is something that is culturally relevant to some people. So I'd say in short, <laughs> which the answer wasn't, no, it's not transparent enough, but let's be a little bit careful what we wish for and keep things reasonable. Wow. Thank you for that, Rob. You had your talking hat on. Thank you so much, Sean. Awesome question. And please keep them coming. Going from this awesome question, I want to go to Daniel's question. He also used the contact form and he sent us, what are your current grail watches? 
And if I may ask, what would your picks below 5K, 10K, and 20K be? Nice one. Rob, honor is yours. Okay, I mean, this is the kind of question to watch journalists stream of because it's pretty easy to have these discussions openly, although the actual answer to that question is often quite hard, especially right now I'm struggling with the 5, 10, and 20K pieces. So what I'll do is I'll give you the Grail watch answer first, and then Alon, maybe you can give me your current Grail, and then we'll take it in turns to go through the 5, 10, and 20, giving each other a little bit of time to think about it. I actually do have an answer right on the top of my head because it's quite a recently realized, well, I say realized, I've recently realized how much of a grail this piece is to me and how I think it might be the perfect grail for many, many reasons, for me at least, and maybe for others that listen to this podcast. And I've recently realized this because I was talking to one of its creators on the show very recently, and that's Dr. Rebecca Struthers. I... Now I believe that my Grail watch, possibly a watch that could actually be my exit watch and get me out of the industry entirely, is the Struthers 248, so named because it was made by two watchmakers, four hands, and an eight millimeter lathe. And this is the Struthers' first, I would say, in-house movement. I think we can definitely say that, even though the Struthers are very, very open about which parts they get from other locations and which specialists they work with to do what within the watch. And they they embrace that collaborative nature of watch design and watch creation. And the 248, in yellow gold, if you're wondering, is just, in my opinion, perhaps the perfect-looking traditional English watch with one of the most gorgeous movements, but quite crucially for me, one of the most beautiful dials made by one of my best friends in the industry, Lewis Heath and his company Anordain. Now, this is a collaboration of masters, in my opinion. We've got the guys up in Glasgow doing wonderful things with enamel and Struthers watchmakers based in Birmingham doing excellent things with 8mm lathes and endless ingenuity. So that's it for me. My dream watch, my grail watch, the watch that I will actually try one day to buy, even though it will require me to sell the vast majority of my collection and save up some extra cash as well, because I think the prices for this will be between fifty and a hundred thousand. Is the Struthers two four eight? So there you go. That's my answer. That's my Grail. What about you, Alan? Before I answer mine, good one. It's not really a curveball. I could have maybe guessed. I was very intrigued by her story. For our listeners that um, don't know the brand or the makers, very quickly, Struthers is spelled S T R U T H. E-R-S. And the URL, their website is strutherswatchmakers.co.uk. So one word, S-T-R-U-T-H-E-R-S-W-A-T-C-H-M-A-K-E-R-S.co.uk. Good one, cool one. Um, reminds me a bit of the Grable Force Project 1, so the one that's completely made by hand. So it gives me that vibe. So cool pick, Rob. Um, mine... Super difficult. Um, my usually to-go grill watch when I need to answer quickly or when I do it on automatic pilot is an FB Joule, either a resonance piece and or two wheel. And they're literally up there and have been up there on my list for a very long time. But I've said this on air, this show is not good for me. It's not good for me. It's not good for my wallet. And... Although I never claimed that I knew everything about watchmaking, 
I thought I knew a lot. And the awesome thing about this show is I learn literally every week, twice a week. Every episode we record, I learn something new. And that's the awesome thing about this show. And that actually fuels me and drives me to do the show because not only do I enjoy it, I learn new stuff every week. And the bad thing is I fall in love every week. High contestants to my grill watch, which is an FB Jouan, is an MBNF. It's an Uwerk. Um, Rob knows and I'm bugging him all the time. Should I pull the trigger? Look what I found on uh, a Corona 24, discontinued Uwerk, an MBNF. Should I pull the trigger? Shouldn't I pull the trigger? What should I let go if I buy this? So I'm bouncing ideas back and forth with Rob off air and maybe we should do it once on air. Actually, it could be a funny episode, Rob. I guess these three brands are very much my grill brands. Watches, I could, I could spit out references, but I didn't lock in yet what Uwek or MNF because they work in chapters, right? And they actually force you to buy a certified pre-owned one if you miss the boat on the actual launch. Often they're limited productions or limited edition. So I'll leave it at that. You spoke about an exit watch. I actually never want to think about an exit watch because I don't want to exit the watch collecting game. So that's my answer. Should we run down now the three picks for the 20, 10 and 5K, Rob? Do you want to go first or should I go? Uh, let's take it in turns. So I'll do my 5K. You do your 5K. I'll do 10 and then... We do the 20s, and I am struggling in a way to spend my 5K budget because all of the watches I like below 5K actually tend to be below 4K as well, which is just a weird coincidence. Things like Schofield and Aldane that you know that I adore. Most Nomos's down there. Oh, I have two, really, and one of them is a Nomos. I mean, the site under 5,000 is pretty hard to beat when you're talking about a watch that does so much and looks so fantastic and has a great architectural sensibility, superb in-house movement, we can say about that model as well now. I think it's a DUW5201, if memory serves. I should know that, so I'll just go with my gut and say that's what it is. And um, I love the special edition models I do. Obviously, I've been responsible for two of them, a black panda and a blue panda. And I would love to see more in that vein. I hope to work with Nomos again in that capacity in the future. And I would like to use the Veltzite as a canvas one or two more times in my career, that's for sure. But yeah, that's hard to beat uh, under 5K. It's around 4,650-ish. I think 14620 it was last time I checked. So great watch, great provenance, wonderful modern success story, a brand that has a lot of things to like about it and in terms of the watches and also it's position in the industry and the messages, the positive social messages that it puts out there into the world. So I'll I'll say that Namos Veltzite is my choice. My honorable mention was going to be a 1964 French Navy reissue from ZRC 1904, a brand that I have a weird amount of time for. It's a dive watch with a crown at six o'clock, a really cool stretchy link bracelet. Go check it out. The website is ZRC1904.com. So this watch it costs 3,590 Swiss francs, and it's a really cool-looking thing, really unusual, and yeah, a great, bright, luminous bezel that 
really should get more air attention than it does. Alon, what's your pick under 5k? You recovered yourself well because I was about to jump in and say, dude, you can't pick something you already own. You could mention the Veltite, which you've done rightfully so, because you and I share, share that passion. I think we both were simultaneously dreaming about getting our first Veltite. We designed one together, the Ace. So I had the silver one and I upgraded to obviously the Ace collab, which I love, love, love. Um, so good pick, but I can't pick it because I already have. Um, we could give honorable mentions to watch that we don't. Oh, oh, hang on, hang on. Is that the nature of this question? Um, is that what he's asked? Oh, right, okay. So stupidly, I read it like, um, what's your grail watch, as in no limit, and then what would your just picks be, as in any, but he... Oh, you think he means what would our grail picks be if our budgets were limited to 5, 10, or 20? Oh, okay. Jesus, I have to change my second pick. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> we could take we could take it anywhere we want. We could we could do something we have, something we want, or maybe we could also add a bonus answer by saying, hey, if we could only have one watch for 5k, what would that be? That's also an interesting question, right? We could also take it there. But okay, so I guess my pick would be, I'm actually hunting for a very long time, a IDF issued either Hoyer or an Eterna Contiki. Cool. I snoozed on a few pieces and unfortunately these prices are rocketing. So I can't even get one in the 10K bracket and they're creeping to the 20K bracket. There are also some, um, funnily enough, Omega Seamasters issued to the Air Force. So it's very weird, right? Yeah. I guess the, their analogy was, well, if your plane gets shut down, you can at least swim back home. But but apparently there were a few Speedmasters issued to IDF Air Force pilots. I've never seen one in real life, not online and not in my hands. And I'm close on pinning down an old Alain Silberstein. Mm. Um, so actually for my 5K watch, I never purchased an Alain Silberstein. I've always loved them ever since I'm a kid in the 80s. Either a Bauhaus Chrono or a three-hand Bauhaus-ish swatch. He made a lot of versions with Hebrew writings on them. I won't tell you guys which I'm hunting down right now. Because <laughs> you don't want the competition. No, I don't want the competition. And uh, I think the owner was not letting go yet. I think he's asking too much. And I can already admit it's just above the 5K bracket. So I want him under the 5K. So so that's a watch that's not being produced anymore. If um, I had to pick one, only one, and add 5K, I guess I would go back in the day for an Omega. But today you can't get them anymore below 5K. So then I click to a Tudor. And I guess I would go for Pelagos. They're just below 5K. That's if somebody wants a all-round daily banger to watch E watch, and I always have to go for titanium, I will go for Pelagos. Then, but I already own that, and it didn't stipulate we can only pick one, right? So in a modern today collection for 5K, uh, my grill watch is, uh, phew, 5K is a difficult bracket, bro. 
Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. Everything became so expensive today because I wanted to say a reversal. I've always, always since a kid wanted a reversal, but they're not 5K anymore either. Jeez. Yeah. So you know what? I'll also opt for a Nomos. Was the Lambda Steel 5K? No, unfortunately it wasn't, although it would be a good pick below 10. It was about six and a half. And that is, that's the canvas that I want for the next limited edition I do with Nomos for sure. That Lambda Steel. But I want it in 39 millimeters because right now they've done it in the original 442, is it? And I think the other case is 39.5. Get that in steel. We'll get a real-time show edition of that on the go. Oof. Oh, my God. Martina. Take my money. Martina, are you listening? Martina, we're calling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, on a serious note, the Lambda is, uh, you know what? I'm clicking it in. I'm clicking a gold one in my 20K one. Oh, wow. Okay. That's here. Here, here, here it said. Here, officially. Click. Not the Jejal Le Culte Reverso in the 10K bracket. So in the, in the, in the 10K, I'm clicking a steel. Lambda, Nomos Lambda, it doesn't exist anymore because it was a one-time shot, the four colors limited edition to honor the 175th anniversary of Glassiter watchmaking. Was it four colors or three? Uh, sh shoot, yeah, you're right. Three. I just bought the set of Tetras, the square ones, and that's four. That's why I got confused. That's also... You bought the set, what, for, for Ace? So listen, we had, we were graced with not one, but two sets, although there are only 175 sets in issue when they came out. And we stalk Glasso to every month. Hey, what's available? Hey, can you hook us up? Hey, are there any limiteds? So apparently the last batch that came out of production got canceled by a retailer. On the day we stalked them at, at, in that month, Dal and I stalked them. Nice. She says, if you want, you can uh, do shotgun. So we both simultaneously replied by email, shotgun. So <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I got confused. It's three and and I wanted all three and we only got one set. So obviously I never do shotgun as a retailer on all the limits because it's not fair. So we give our customers a VIP is always uh, the first right of refusal. And obviously they were snatched up. And yeah, 39 millimeter steel, if it ever comes in the 10K bracket, that's mine. And, my, and the gold one, I've had it with my stupid head. I let it go again. What? Yeah. Oh, you're a madman. Yeah, I miss it. But you know what? I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a white gold uh, vibe right now. I guess I maybe would go for white gold the next one around time around okay okay but the lambda is 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 delicious it's scrumptious it's it's beautiful I, I and 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 although a langer a Cerner doesn't fit into these brackets right is there a langer for below 20 i think the saxonia thin just nicks under there still but it's 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 really close now yeah so i really want a langer it's not a grail watch but i really want one and one day I'm quite sure I'll have one, but it's not, I'm not going to click that one into the book because I'll, I'll opt for a Langer one, I guess, as the first Langer. Although uh, a Red Bar crew member is a huge fan and he has several and he brought the um, ultra thin with um, Aventurine. He brought one with the Aventurine dial, white gold, stunning, stunning piece, but still I'll opt for the Lambda. So, okay, Rob, 10K bracket, what would you choose? Right, so I had a bit of a panic when you mentioned that. Firstly, it was a watch that I wasn't supposed to own. 
and then realized that the watch I was actually thinking hasn't come out yet. But I decided I'm going to go with that anyway and just allude to it as a bit of like a a, show, a, a warning uh, or an alert, an alert to our listeners that if you trust me and you fancy your chances of snaring what will certainly be a sought-after watch, keep your eyes on Lavender. Okay, this is an annoying one for some people, I'm sure, because I'm sure there's a ton of people that have tried to buy these watches over and over again and, and not had as much luck as I have. But if you don't follow Claremont's Instagram, go ahead and follow it now because there's a new watch coming in June. It's pretty obvious what it is from his teasers. So I think I can go ahead and say it looks quite likely to be an update of a Lavender Sumarine, which was the second model released by the brand and the brand's dive watch. In the first iteration, it featured a bought-in Salita movement, which featured the greatest mistake he's ever made as a designer, and that was a dead date position. It just it didn't use a two-position setting lever, so there was this dead date. He did remove the date mechanism and the date wheel so it doesn't click when you spin the crown in that second position, but nothing happens. It's just the one thing, the one thing that I criticize him for, and I openly criticize him for it, so he knows that I'm not just fawning over his output blindly. There were six editions, I suppose, in the initial release. There was a green dial, a blue dial, and a black dial in either a bronze or a steel case, so three dial colors, two case variations. So this upcoming release, I don't know exactly what's going to be seen but there will be a new watch and i can say without a doubt it will feature one of the brand's new proprietary calibers which has been developed in conjunction with chronode which we know to be a movement supplier of some of our favorite brands in the industry certainly some of my favorite brands because they work closely with chapek on the development of their calibers as well so what you get here, and I, I do know that the price is going to be under 10K because the previous one, I'm actually wearing it today, is the Lavender Automobile Chronograph. That retails for around 8,200 francs before taxes, so that just nicked under 10,000. This one will be a shade below that, but expect to pay roughly the same. I think for 10,000, it's one of the surprising bargains in the industry because you get to buy a chronode movement. And it is a movement that, although aesthetically not comparable to the Chapek SXH5, is functionally relatively similar, although Clermont prefers the centrally mounted rotor weight and Chapek prefers the micro rotor in platinum. I think it's a good deal. Now, it's an odd thing because when Laventure first released its watches in 2017, they were 1,400 francs on Kickstarter and they were powered by barely finished, although with a custom rotor weight, ETA2824s. Very nice, attractive price. When you realize the build quality, having had them in hand, you can see that's a good good bargain of a watch. Although for the first few watches of its existence, it was heavily criticized for being too expensive and losing its mind and station as it ascended up the price brackets from 1,400 to 2,700 to 3,500 to 4,200, that it wasn't matching the movement with the exterior. And people said, oh, it's an expensive fashion watch, forget about it. And then he came out with the automobile, which featured this proprietary base caliber, which is basically just a standard chronode with some delightfully designed and green neck-coated plates. So it has this nice frosted surface that makes it look a bit like a Land Rover. I, I mean, that's obviously part of the inspiration, and he loves a bit of green. 
So it's, you know, it's aesthetically unique. It's, it's functionally pretty basic, but it's got this advantage. And that's the fact that you can put modules on the dial side and power a load of complications up the same base caliber. So he's set up for the future. I'm guessing what we're going to see is just that base caliber on its own in the new Sumerine. And it'll just be a three-hander. I don't know the dial colors, or maybe I do and maybe I can't say. And I don't know the case materials, or maybe I do and I just want to leave it up to your imagination. But there'll be more of these than there were of the automobile. And you just need to sign up to his newsletter, stay focused, and do your level best to get one when they drop. Because like we've seen before, they'll probably go in a heartbeat and there'll be a lot of people on the outside looking in. But good luck. I, I don't know if I'm going to buy one this time. I might try. I might not. And I can't guarantee I'll get one even if I try, but I, I, I think that I might skip this because I've got the original Sumerine and I wear it all the time and I might wait for the update to the Transatlantique, which I think is obviously coming. He hasn't confirmed this, but I think it's obviously coming. Now, weirdly enough, what I'm saying is, and I, this is the last thing I'll say, I'll shut up because I know these are long-winded answers, but I think that Laventure did exactly the right thing in bolstering its reputation in sales and a lower price point in a lower price bracket with the intention of jumping up to this price point and is now representing great horological value for the money, although it might be hard for some people who saw the original pieces at 1,400 euros to stomach. The watches then and the watches now are worlds apart and I'm all for it. Wow. I'm still awake. No, I'm kidding. I, I love your monologues and um, I kind of want to hear from the listeners. Do you like these monologues? They love them. No, no, no. This is a serious question. If you love them, let us know. If you want to rob the shorten them, tell us how many minutes he's officially allowed to do a monologue. And I'll time it on my stopwatches, either on my watch, my wrist, or on my, in front of my desk. I have loads of stopwatches because I collect them. It's not what I come here for. This is not what I come here for. This abuse. <laughs> I don't need this. And I know what's going to happen. You're going to text my girlfriend directly. And she is sick of me monologuing because I do it at home as well about the dishes or something like that. So... Oh man, you're going to come to me with some hard evidence that says I should shut up. But you know what? If, if you want to take it, go ahead. You know, give us your answer. What's your... Wow, wait a second. You already have. <laughs> it's a watch that doesn't exist. I went for a watch that didn't, uh, hasn't been released yet. And you went for a watch that literally doesn't exist for the under 10K. Okay, let's, let's, let's leave it at that and go on to the 20K because we're running out of time. No, 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 no. I want to back up one second. Thank you for not picking up a Laventurine because... Laventurine, sorry. I'm mixing two words. <laughs> Laventurine. Now, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be a cool special edition. An Aventurine Laventur. Yeah, we should make that collab with him. Sign me up. We'll use an uh, Aventurine dial. Oh, my God. You've just given me an idea then, because we could use that as our blue and then put a nice fluorescent orange second sound on it. Clement, incoming. Yeah, number one Number one is mine. Dips, dips, shotgun. Um, no, but on a serious note, thank you for not picking one up, because at least you leave some allocation for me, because I remember vividly the first piece you picked up one of the first ever yeah and coincidentally we met up in dresden that week oh yeah and you had it on oh yeah that was the bronze one that well that was yeah that was that's the that's the sumerine and the follow-up is coming to that now it's actually the second piece that i had but they're great aren't they the quality is just nuts superb and 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 as you said the price then was way too low the only reason i snoozed was bronze i had that aversion against bronze then uh and like I've said this many times, and I didn't shake it yet, and uh, I don't regret it. I think it's lovely on your wrist, 
and I'm I'm actually happy because it's it's how many years ago is that four five six I don't even remember. The brand started in 2017, and that one must have come out in 2018. He does one release a year in the summer, and he limits them quite strictly. So the first release was limited to 150 in total, and the second to 600, which was the biggest release he ever did. And ever since, it's been smaller and smaller and smaller. I think it was like 200, 100, 100, and the upcoming release. I'm not sure if it's been released how many pieces there will be, but it'll be more than last year and uh, less than 600. So yeah, yeah. So so that's amazing, and, and and I'm happy to hear that the love grew, and you actually didn't release the piece. And I was, remember also vividly that it came with a beautiful artwork, the watch. Yeah, it comes in this illustrated box, which is very similar to the books of Jules Verne. I guess the covers you could expect to find those books packaged in and they're really nice and collectible and cute i mean i intend on keeping my lavender watches for the rest of my life i know they sell for a massive premium at the moment but i have no interest in offloading them and i would say that of all my boxes i've maybe kept these less carefully because i just like looking at them i actually left them like on a windowsill with loads of other books because they look like books for a couple of years and i think the black one is probably a bit sun damaged now and uh, i just don't care because they're mine and I was lucky enough and had the foresight at the time to buy the first model on Kickstarter and then pick up the second model when nobody seemed to want it. It, it lingered in the shop for about two months, that second model. So, you know, things have changed since then. And the automobile was the first one I bought that sold out in such a rapid time. But yeah, I mean, what a, what a story, what a growth, success. And yeah, long, long may his success continue and long may his small but dedicated cohort of followers support him and his designs because i think he's one of one of the best at the, at the moment doing it and i'm just reiterating it and focusing on this because it's really a deep passion rob has no hidden agendas and i've been there from day one and i was stupid enough to snooze twice because he warned me just as a buddy to pick it up way before the real-time show so um, Rob is, I don't know, he took some speed probably this morning, a lot of caffeine because he's going very fast. So for our listeners, Lavantur is spelled L-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E. And the website is the brand name dot Swiss, S-W-I-S-S. Have a look, give them some love. If you're intrigued or piqued, register for their newsletters to have a chance at their next allocation. So regarding registering for the newsletters, I did that too. I always rely on you, Rob, to uh, gives me, give me heads up on the Labantou. But since you're telling all the listeners to register, I listened uh, closely to what you said and I did myself. Um, so I believe you still owe us an answer for your 20K pick. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, on the subject of newsletters, just be aware, like when you do go into one of these mad dashes to try and buy eleven two, there's like twelve thousand people signed up to that newsletter. So you are really competing against a lot of active other buyers. It's not just the fact that a lot of them are already sold to existing collectors. Some of them are because that's the way that Clement has chosen to do business, and he's been more transparent about that as time gone on. But you know, just to manage your expectations, it is a mad dash for the pieces that are available, which is fewer than the total complement of whatever it will be during this release. But good luck. I might be in that mix with you this time. I might not. I might step away, like I say, and just leave a space for someone that doesn't have one this time. In fact, you know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to that. I, I promise you this time I will step away. So next time I'll come back, but this time I'm stepping away. Uh, all right, 20K. God damn, it's so hard not to pick a fucking nomos. Ah. 
I want a Lambda also, 39mm rose gold Zamtschwarz. It's velvet black for non-German speakers. It's an absolute divine watch. My colleagues at Nomos, my former colleagues, used to say the 42mm was the pure one, the one that everyone should be focused on, but I disagreed. I thought the 39 was just heaven because it wears like a dinner plate, that watch, so wide and flat with basically no bezel. But no, I'm not allowed to pick that one because it's too common and too obvious and too nomos and blah 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 why pick it but give us a bonus piece uh well that's one of them okay i'll say that's one of them like i don't think you can go wrong i do think that the steel model for like six and a half seven thousand is actually better value in terms of a collection i'm not going to get into whether the gold weight of the case makes the rose gold one actually better value than the steel one if i had to pick one or the other i'd pick the gold because it's just divine it's just beautiful but the steel watch that doesn't yet exist that 39.5 millimeter lambda when that emerges which it must do at some point that'll just be almost unbeatable for top end horology okay so pieces that almost made it in but were scuppered one way or another i've always wanted a langer and zerner zaxonia thin but i don't know if that's like really a grail i think the reason why i want it is because i want a langer and it's the only one i'll likely to ever be able to afford especially if i commit the majority of my funds and saving over the next 20 30 years to a struthers 248 lovely watch though i just want to be part of that family and yeah well they're in my neck of the woods so i should support german watchmaking where i can I wanted to put in this bracket a Josh Shapiro, a JN Shapiro watch from California. Engine turn dials, a fascinating individual, somebody who will be on the show this summer. We've got an interview booked in, but he's a very busy man because he's producing something new and exciting for all of us watch lovers coming out soon. However, I was slightly saddened to find that they're a little bit above my budget the steel models have retailed in the past for around $25,000, so closer to €20,000, but still a nose over what I'm allowed to spend. So I have gone for a bit of a cheat answer. Again, it's a watch that I sort of own, but I'm talking about the next one, and that's the one that hasn't hit the shelves yet, and that is going to be, obviously, the Glastatura Ganel Panamatic Datum Chronograph 1970s. Now, I own this model with the Vibing Orange Dial, which is a limited edition of 100 pieces, Funnily enough, some of those 100 pieces are fitted with a regular hairspring and the others with a silicon hairspring. The later ones with a silicon hairspring, not in terms of their sequence number, by the way, just in terms of production. They weren't produced in order from 1 to 100. So mine is, I don't know, in the middle somewhere, serial number wise, and mine has a silicon hairspring. They do these color editions every year. They are hard to get because their dedicated brand followers are on waiting lists all over the world mega popular in the far east so if you want one of these and i recommend that model absolutely it's beautiful to wear i have it on the rubber strap and i wouldn't change it for the world although my girlfriend wants me to switch out for the bracelet so she can steal it no i want it on rubber and i think next to those bright colored dials it mutes everything down and makes it so wearable despite those dials being in your face go to your local class to Rigadal boutique get yourself on a waiting list just in case somebody ahead of you cancels or doesn't or doesn't like what color it's going to be in 2023. Now, we don't know for sure, do we, Alon? But you stumbled across an image that could be fake, but it also could be legitimately what's coming out in 2023, and it looked like a mint green dial. Is that right? Yes. Although, yeah, I don't remember. I sent it to you on uh, Instagram DM or WhatsApp. Uh, 
I guess it uh, made you stop in your uh, tracks. Yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it disoriented you a bit, huh? Well, what happened, like my story of this watch was I went to the store in Dresden on Tupferstrasse, uh, near the Frauenkirche. If you're a tourist going to Dresden, you'll probably find your way to the Frauenkirche, which is an amazing old cathedral church. Um, go just around the corner to the Glasseter Rugenau Boutique, and there you can find my good friend now, Peter Nowak, who will help you with your Glasseter original uh, journey. Mine started there with an interview, chatting about trying to like get some watches in for review, and I saw the new turquoise and vibing orange dials that were coming out this year, and I thought at first, oh, the turquoise is the one for me, but then I got the vibing orange on my wrist, and I had a look, and I was like, oh, that's amazing are there any left? And they said, no, unfortunately, it's all sold out. And I said, I tell you what, I've always wanted one of these. Ever since Ariel Adams bought the blue dial version about, I don't know, seven years ago or something. And I saw it and I fell in love with it. I said, put me on the list for next year. I know I haven't got a chance in hell, but in case anybody cancels, in case there's like one coming back from a customer, just let me know. So they stuck my name on the list. And then a couple of weeks later, Peter had heard from one of the VPs of Glastonbury Canal who was in Hong Kong that one of his clients who had committed to buy a piece had decided not to buy it, and so there was one available. So he called me, said, "Do you want it? They can send it back. You know, they'll they'll they they have to like you know put it through some tests again, of course, in, in Glastonbury. But if you want it, then it's yours." So I said, "Yeah, okay, I'll take it. I'll take that one because I don't know if I'm going to be able to get one next year, or I don't know what the color's going to be next year. But I'm still on the list for next year. And when you sent me that, I don't know, is it mocked up? Is it some kind of?" speculative thing is it a leak we haven't seen it on glasgow Regional's website we haven't seen it in any of the watch media around the world but when you sent it to me i was like oh, damn it am i gonna have to buy another one now oh so i guess i just accompanied that picture with the text is this your next one or are you picking it up right so that was interesting um so you guys get an insight how we inspire tease each other and also gain market info and we actually check our sources because i've said i don't like these mock-up pictures and it confuses people and just proven that we even got thrown off so yeah but it might be real it might be a leak it could it could make sense so there's a there's not a pattern to how glasgow original picks these colors and even less so now they do a couple every year because they did i think for a while maybe only one a year what did they always do two maybe they always did two they did this forest green and this this sort of brown um fume dial years ago then they did a yellow one, a bright yellow one, uh, and then they did like uh, this blue and this orange. They actually are quite similar to colors that won the color of the year for Pantone years previously. It's not like one year removed or two years removed, but if you go back and you have a look at those colors that have won color of a year from Pantone, you can see corollaries of the yellow last year. You can see corollaries of the orange. It's actually almost it's the orange that I use for my consultancy website, robnuds.com. It's called ooh, Living Coral, I think. And it won in, I don't know, 2019, 2020, something like that. And the blue, the turquoise release this year, one could speculate was inspired by the success of the Tiffany blue dials and everything going out there. Although it's very different in real life, I think that's got to be something to do with it. This year could be like this mint green or a pastel purple must be on the cards at some point for Glasgow Regional. So, you know, have a look at those colors. Send us some speculative suggestions of what you think might be coming next and whether you like that pick. It's around 15,000, 16,000 euros on the bracelet, a little bit less on the 
on the rubber, but buy as you prefer. For me, that is a top watch for under 20,000. And I proved it by putting my money where my mouth was. And I didn't get a shred of discount in case anybody's wondering. I think we need to invite our mutual friend, Dieter Bachner. I think he's today VP Glassetorginal, if I'm not mistaken. My gut feeling is the crown prince. Lovely guy. Um, Austrian, but uh, really, really G-O DNA in his blood. Glassetorginal. Lovely guy. I think we should bring him on. Let's do it. The G-O-O-G. Okay, let's wrap it up there and uh, get on with our other watch business throughout the day. It's good, that, isn't it? The G-O-O-G. G-O-O-G. The Demo Guggen. Yeah, we'll get him on. Yeah, the big man. All right, okay. If you would like to get involved with these Q&A sessions, then please drop us a line either on Instagram at Rob Nuds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or Alon Ben Joseph at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. You can contact Alon via email at alon at therealtime.show or me, Rob, at therealtime.show. We will be back next week with another rifle through the mailbag and an interview with one of the top names in watchmaking until then stay safe and keep on ticking